In the 1986 movie Troll, a character named Harry Potter Jr. attempts to learn magic from a woman who lives above him who's secretly a witch. The wave was first brought to the worldwide attention during the 1986 FIFA World Cup in Mexico, and for many people living outside North America, this was the first time they had ever seen the phenomenon, referring to it as the Mexican wave. And speaking of keeping up foreign relations, Lieutenants Peter Mitchell and Nick Bradshaw did so in their own way, while in a 4G inverted dive with a MiG-28. GameZillaMedia.com It's time for the last action podcast! Pop quiz, hot shot! Hey, motherfucker. I feel the need for need for speed. It feeds. We can kill it. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Come with me if you want to live. Hello, everybody. How are you? I am LPJ, and with me today on this episode of the Last Action Podcast is, as always, the Sphinx. Yo, 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 what's up? I fucking hate you. Oh, it's awful. Okay. You're awful. So we have with us a, a very special guest to talk about a movie that he lived through. He's, he's the co-star of this particular movie. We have Goose himself, Zombie Goose, sitting with us today, Josh Malik. It is a pleasure and honor to be here. Big fan of the show, friend of the show. I'm excited. Let's do this. Yeah. So we're here to talk about uh, Top Gun. Yeah, yeah. That is the movie. That's the Top Gun. We're talking yeah, about. We're, we're here in the last action podcast talking about Top Gun. We we just we just established that. I'm sorry, right? the American classic Top Gun. <laughs> well, yeah, it's not going to be Russian. Duh. LPJ. Yes. <laughs> there's there's something I wanted to ask you. Oh fuck, go. <laughs> You never close your eyes anymore when I kiss your lips. And there's no, no tenderness, tenderness like before, before in your fingertips. fingertips. You're trying hard not to show it. Baby. But baby. Baby, baby I, I know, know it. it. You've lost that, that love and feeling. feeling. Whoa, Whoa, that love and feeling. You've lost that love and feeling. Now it's gone, gone, gone. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That was for you, LPJ. I couldn't tell the fact that you said LPJ at the beginning of it. Did you enjoy it? Yeah. Did you like our serenade? It was good. Did we do pretty? Did we do as good as Tom Cruise? Did we do as good as Mav and Goose? I've had worse serenades. Perfect. I'm gonna take it. Mm-hmm. Moving on. So, Top Gun. Top Gun came out May 16th, 1986. You know, this is one month after I was born. This is why I'm great. Just gonna say that because this movie came out before you were born. No, it came out a month after I was born. Did I say it before? You did. I don't know. What I'm talking about already. I forgot what my own birthday was. My birthday's in April. Not you are not, getting old. So. Not June. Anyway, Paramount Pictures did it. Um, let's go around and figure out what this movie has either had an impact on us or, or maybe rather just... First experience with Yeah, first experience with Top Gun. So, Josh, you want to go first as our guest? It had to be on TNT or TBS, whatever basic cable kind of channel was on, and just literally being like probably five or six years old and seeing airplanes and jets and flying around is like probably my first memory of this watching oh, yeah. with my dad nice nice for me like my older brother really liked this movie 
So I remember him. He's not like a huge movie guy, but this is the one movie I can think of that he would watch over and over again. And usually I would watch it with them. So my dad must have recorded it off of like HBO pay-per-view something because we had it on VHS. So I just remember always watching it as a kid. Um, I don't know if I really loved it as a kid, but I would just sit and watch it anyway because he was my older brother. And that was maybe one of those, I don't know, moments where we were doing something together. I don't really know. But yes, this was always something that was going on. So that's me. LPJ. Uh, we had this movie on VHS. We had it, two copies of it. We had it recorded off of. This is one of those movies that my dad had recorded off of HBO when he had it. And I don't know if you guys are aware of this. this isn't a pop quiz, but I don't know if you guys are aware of this. This is the, like, one of the first big, huge VHS hits. Yes, I did see that. So, this, like, of all the movies that have come out on VHS, this is still one of the all-time leading selling VHS tapes. Like, within the first year of it coming out, they sold something crazy like 1.9 million copies of it. It was something insane like that. Any idea what else is towards the top of that list? Just out of curiosity. Uh, yeah, something. It was like Raiders of the Lost Ark is in there. Gotcha. Uh, ET is in there. Um, there's a couple of like you know big movies, but but this movie was huge in. It was huge in not only um, VHS purchases, but it was the reason why a lot of people bought uh, VCRs, was to see this movie. Like, they bought... Like, when DVDs came out, there weren't a ton of movies out on DVD, but everybody had, like, fucking Lethal Weapon 4 and shit like that. And uh, this was... If you had a VCR, you owned Top Gun. And I used to watch this movie constantly. Like, I would have it... This this was, like, in my rotation. This, Star Wars, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark... Um, what else did I watch a ton? G.I. Yeah, Joe the movie? Let's Please not talk about yeah, that again. Yeah, started. Uh-huh. Yeah, so this is one of those movies that I've seen, you know, a million times, and then I stopped watching it because I had seen it so much. And, and it's interesting because the way I kind of, after wa- re-watching it, because I haven't seen it from beginning to end in probably quite a while. It's been a long time. This movie is a bromance, without a doubt. Oh, for sure. Right? Like, it, it, it definitely is not one of our traditional action movies that we've done on this show so far at all. I was going to bring that up a little later, but I'll say it now. Um, Like, I don't think... I don't want to say it's not an action movie, but I think it's a drama. Yeah. And it has action scenes in it. I don't think it is necessarily an action movie. Yeah, I think you're right. It's like it's an action drama because there's... You obviously have all the, you know, the plane scenes and the jets and all that good stuff. But then you are, you've got this love interest that's going on, which was a much bigger part of the movie than I thought. Maybe as a kid, I just kind of ignored those parts. I really wasn't as actively engaged in them. But then, like as an adult, it's like, wow, there's actually a lot of stuff in there on that. Well, that was one thing, and we may cover it later on. But rewatching it, I never like. I wish they could just cut out the love story aspect <laughs> of it and just make a just do a lot more with Goose and Maverick in it. I still think it would be an enjoyable movie. Well, the crazy thing is they added a lot of this stuff in to sell it after the movie had wrapped. Like a lot of the scenes with Kelly McGillis and uh, Tom Cruise, like the, the romance part of it was added as uh, reshoots because the, because fans of the movie were like, Where's the rest of the... There was part of a love story there, but it wasn't enough of it. So they added the love scene. They added the scene in the elevator with him just, you know, as he got done working out. Um, that That's all stuff they added later on. Yeah, I actually... I, I caught on that, too. Uh, they did three screenings 
um, before the movie was released wide. And the city of Chicago was really like, hey, like, where's the rest of this love interest? And Cruz had already moved on. He was filming The Color of Money from Scorsese. And then Kelly, um, why am I blanking on her name? Kelly McGillis was she had chopped all her hair off as well and everything too so that's why in the elevator she's got a hat hat on on. yep because like you said they definitely had to go back and and redo that she looks like janet jackson from the rhythm nation video she does without a doubt so yeah that was all they wanted to to add all of that in there yep so our director here is tony scott which is ridley scott's brother Tony Scott is the pioneer of action, one of the pioneers of action movies um, from this time. Yeah, I mean he did Beverly Hills Cop two, Last Boy Scout, True Romance, Crimson Tide, um, a ton of them. Spy Game, which was actually a, a decent movie. Uh, Enemy of the State, Days of Thunder, another one with Tom Cruise. Yeah, he did Days of Thunder. Mm-hmm. He, I didn't know this. He committed suicide. Yeah, in two thousand twelve. That's why this it took him so long to make the sequel to, to to greenlight the sequel. Oh, really? Like they, uh, the producers and everybody on board wanted to do it but they were also very worried about um you mean like Brockheimer um, and stuff like that yeah they, they were very they were because they liked Tony Scott so much they didn't want they didn't want to do it without him gotcha and so then they talked to his wife and his wife kind of smoothed sing, things over and said yeah go ahead and we, we, we I want you to do the sequel so that's why that recently got greenlit, but it, it had been in production since uh, 2010. Yeah, I was going to say because I know the and rumor's then, been around for a long time. They were going to do the sequel mm-hmm. to it, and it was it was going. And then in 2012 is when Tony Scott committed suicide, and that's when everything got put on hold. He, he literally jumped off a bridge. He did literally that's, jump off a bridge. That's how he he decided to to do it, mm-hmm. which is interesting. And this is really his first major role or his first major um, directing debut. He did The Hunger from 1982, but it was a huge failure. Uh, I had David Bowie and Catherine Deneuve in it. Just did not do well. Never heard of it. But actually, I never heard of it either. But Bruckheimer and Don Simpson, our two producers, they loved it. And so that's what kind of brought him on. And then there was something else that Tony Scott did too. Um, He did a series of commercials for Saab, the car company. And in those commercials, he would like compare the car to like a jet. So when they were thinking, like, what kind of director can we do that can do all these great jet action scenes, those commercials immediately came to them, like, oh, this guy is going to be a perfect fit for this. And sure enough, like, worked out great. I mean, I one thing that a lot of the stuff that I'm going to get information from, there was a fantastic comment uh, documentary on the DVD that I watch. It's like three hours long. It's called Danger Zone. Any of you happen to catch it? I saw excerpts of it, but I didn't actually watch it. I tried to watch through all of it. It was a bit much, but there was a ton of awesome information on there. So if you're really bored and you love Top Gun, you know I definitely would recommend watching it. Um, crap, I already forgot what I was trying to go on this. I don't know. Tony Scott being a f- directing Saab commercials. Yeah, he was directing the Saab commercials. I don't fighter know, planes and all that. Fighter stuff. planes and all that. I guess I I blanked. I shouldn't have brought up anything else. It happens. It does happen. Mm-hmm. So Jerry Bruckheimer. This was really his first big action film that he did. Uh, him and Don Simpson were were producing partners. Don, Sim- Don Simpson actually had to take a bit of a leave of absence from this film. He wasn't really there because he was kind of going through a chemical dependency rehab uh, for Solid. for, for um, prescription drug usage. And uh, but the films they did before this was Flashdance was really their other big one, mm-hmm. and then they did Top Gun, and then obviously everything that came after that: The Rock, Con Air, Armageddon, Kangaroo Jack. Yeah. 
Uh, Enemy this day, Blackhawk okay. Down, Pearl Harbor, Beverly Hills Cobb, Bad Boys, Pirates of the Caribbean, National Treasure. I mean, Brookheimer's done everything. A very solid run of maybe not the best films, but very bankable box office films that are going to make a ton of money. You know, most of those are really good. I mean, I, I don't know as far as action films go. You know, yeah, uh, Kangaroo Jack's a favorite of mine. Well, well maybe not so much that one. Well, they weren't <laughs> going to win any Academy Awards for Best Picture or anything like that. No, I don't think Brockheimer's won any sort of awards like that. Uh, no, not like that. No, no. no. From Detroit too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This this first cut of this film apparently was horrible as well. So when when Tony Scott pieced it all together, uh, the producers Simpson and Bruckheimer were like, "Oh my god, like this is a pile of shit." They had no idea what was going on. Uh, it didn't make any sense to them. And Don was actually going to fire Tony. But then Brockheim was like, all right, let's just work together on this and see if we can figure it out. And it took a lot of time, but eventually they were able to kind of generate some sort of plot out of this. Uh, they were able to make a lot of those jet scenes make more sense to like what was going on in the movie and all of that. I'm really curious like what that first cut must have looked like that the producers like crapped themselves like oh man this is bad i'm sure it was just a lot of flying and fast cuts and it was really no story whatsoever no substance then what was the original script then like the shooting script had to have been vastly different from what was actually what's actually on the on the screen here well i have a i have a little bit on that too so our writers are jim cash and jack epps jr um the two of them themselves like hardly they didn't even come they didn't even meet when they wrote the script they would call each other on the phone to discuss what they were writing because Cash um, is actually from East Lansing. So he was staying here at Michigan State. Go green. Yeah, whatever. And um, Apps was in California, and they never really got together to figure out how they wanted to do this. The, the script is loosely based on an article that Bruckheimer found in a magazine that was talking about the Top Gun program through the Navy. Uh, Bruckheimer bought the rights to the magazine article, and then from there, they just kind of went from there and kind of worked on it. Then they brought in uh, a technical advisor with all the jet stuff, and so he was a Top Gun guy himself. His name was uh, Peter Pettigrew, not to mix up with uh, Harry Potter there, but um, Viper, that's who the character is based off of. Mm-hmm. Is, is this Pettigrew guy. And so he was kind of like the glue holding together all those technical details of everything when it came to, to, to writing this thing out. So in the end, Epps was, he didn't know this was really going to turn in anything. He just wanted to ride in a jet plane. That's what he said in the documentary. That was he, one thing that Cruz said in a few interviews is he knew he was going to do the movie, but he had Bruckheimer basically pay for him to go up and do test flights and stuff like that just because he wanted to be in a plane. And then he just said yes afterwards, even though he was going to do it the whole time. Yeah. Yeah, they all actually got to go up and fly in the jets, except Val Kimmer. He refused. He didn't want anything to do with it at all. I've read somewhere that Anthony Edwards, Goose, was the only one not to throw up yep. during the uh, during the flying. I read that, that too. Does that make you proud? <laughs> yeah, Dead Goose, how do you feel about yeah. that? So, hold on. we got to set the scene here. So, obviously, <laughs> you, you pe- the people can't see this at home. You are in a full-on Goose costume. Like, you have... Yeah. A, I would say a relatively accurate so, uh, a goose jumpsuit so with I, the aviators on right now, and your ball, and you look like Anthony Edwards. Well, I don't have the awesome '80s like trash stash that he was rocking during the movie. And you don't. He, he definitely has a lot more hair on the top of his head than I do currently. Cur- okay, fair yeah, enough. He but, looks more like Mr. Strickland over there. I do. I do <laughs> look like Strickland. <laughs> uh, the only thing I have in terms of writing this movie 
is, and I, this was another thing that actually gave me a little bit more appreciation for this film after I watched the documentary. So proud. Was Tony Scott thought when it came to directing it and then when it came to working with the writers throughout filming that he wanted this to be not an action movie, but a sports movie. And he kept saying that throughout the documentary. I was thinking of this as a movie, like a sports movie, like a Rocky or something like that. And when you actually kind of look back and think about it, like there's all of that competition between Mav and Iceman. And that was like that competition that he was trying to get at, like athletically. And when they were actually working with and dealing with actual naval pilots, he realized like how tough you had to be you know, for these positions. And then that's also how he brings in all of those scenes where they're, you know, shirtless, they're showing off these, you know, these six packs and these huge physiques. Like he wanted this to be a sports type of movie, which I don't know. I find that kind of interesting. I liked that a lot. Which is interesting because you almost think that, I guess Iceman is the quote unquote, like bad guy villain kind of through the whole movie. But in fact, it's the, MIG fighters who are really like at the end of it and it's just well, kind of interesting he is absolutely not the villain and I will say this if you look at it from his perspective I don't think he is either but no he plays he his his whole thing is he flies safe he plays by the rules he goes by the book and he does everything he's supposed to do so and he just happens to have all the talent to go with it to be the best at it so he's not the villain. And he sees Maverick as this guy who is throwing the rule book out the window and flying just kind of blindly. And, it, and it's very unsafe. So are we Can we? Are we in agreement then that Maverick is the quote-unquote hero of the movie? I don't even know if he's the hero. Because Maverick the saves well, himself at the end. Well, because Before the, that, I don't think he's a hero well, at all. Because if you look at him as the person that you're rooting th- for through the movie, the biggest antagonist is going to be Iceman. That's why I consider him the villain. I think himself, like, he can't get yeah. his own ego out of the way. Yeah, his, his the biggest antagonist in this is... It's internal. Maverick. Yeah. It's not, a, it's not a man versus man scenario here. It's a man versus oneself scenario here. Like, he kills Goose. What? Well, okay, now... Okay. Uh-oh. We'll probably hit that later. We'll get <laughs> back right, to that. Right. Um, the other thing that was, that was interesting was... So there's quite a few like locker room scenes, like I just mentioned, like showing these physiques and the body. And we'll talk about that volleyball scene a little bit later, obviously. But (laughs) what they literally said at one point, too, was that we're paying Tom Cruise so much money to do this movie that he needs a shirt off and he needs to show the goods to the people out there that are paying money to see this movie. So there are, you know, there are scenes in this movie that are specifically written so that you can show off these (laughs) male bodies. And this is something else that is definitely recurring throughout the film. Um, Scott, for whatever reason, was infatuated with this magazine writer. Man, I've got the name somewhere. It's not coming to me. It was a male model magazine. So he was infatuated with shiny dudes, which there are a ton of in this movie. Exactly. (laughs) And so he wanted to bring that into this film. Um that's, I don't know. That's one thing I wanted to bring up real quick. Have you noticed during this whole film, everyone, I know they're in California, but literally they're sweating the whole time. You know what? <laughs> Why don't they have AC? Or, or, Hold on. Or Cruz is always out of a shower. <laughs> no, no. And not just that. You, if you notice, he's always wearing long sleeves. And a leather jacket. And a leather jacket and long pants. Like every, and Kelly McGillis, wearing a sweater in half the, half the thing. 
Like they're in California. Why is it so cold in California there? Well, she is around the water, so maybe that's why she's worried about it. I don't know about that, man. Hard to say. I don't know. San Diego is beautiful, though. I will say that. All right. So Paramount didn't really love this movie either when it was all ready to go for them. Uh, There were seven rewrites, and then the movie kind of died. It kind of went away. And one of the CEOs of Paramount was actually Michael Eisner, who is of Disney fame. When he left to do Disney... The new CEO came in and was like, hey, what, what's kind of some risky stuff you got, you know, in the books here? And they threw Top Gun at him. He's like, let's do this. Like, let's do this right now. So this movie was definitely pretty shaky from whether or not it was actually going to take off. Uh, 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 take take off, you know, jet jets. No. T- take Taking off. Moving on. I thought that was pretty good. Anyway. All right. Music. You crash and burn. Yeah, I guess so. Well, as Tom Cruise said, um, you know, I need a beer to take out the flames here. So he's at the bar. He gets denied. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. Our music. Phenomenal. I, I mean, it is the, the music. Make, we've said this before with other movies. The music is like a, a character of its own in this film. I mean, there is just. It definitely sets the mood. Yeah, it does. From, from the beginning to, to the rock songs, to the soundtrack, to, to all of it. Um, it is just absolutely fantastic. So LPJ has it up here. We're going to start with the um, the instrumental theme here that plays at the very, very beginning of the movie. anymore i think this movie is classic 80s montage it just gets the people going right like just listening to that i can see everyone kind of moving a little slow running towards something well it's not just this this song right here this is the guy's follow-up hit to the theme from beverly hills cop and Perfect. that that is a, a hugely iconic song as far as '80s films go. He, he, he dominates the '80s. You got Top Gun, Beverly Hills Cop. He did Flashdance too. You know, he did, yes. Yeah. So, and it's uh, it's Harold uh, Fallemeyer that was doing that. So, and then when we get into some of our actual songs here, so I mean, first off, we we got we got the man. We got Kenny Kenny Loggins, Mr. Loggins, who is also dominating the '80s. You got. You got I'm All Right from Caddyshack in 1980. You've got Footloose from 1985. And then Bowman comes out here in 86 with Danger Zone. (laughs) 
Josh is over here still singing it. It is, oh man, it's so good. Just the beginning with the anthem, because the anthem plays at the beginning and then it says, boom, Top Gun. Mm-hmm. And then before you know, because you're on the, the deck of the aircraft carrier, yeah. and then just Danger Zone just drops. Yeah, and it then does. the plane takes off and you're like, yep, the ride starts. It it does. They, they kind of use it a little too much. I noticed that rewatching it. Danger Zone plays like seven times in this movie. They pull it out. Not from like the very beginning of the song, but they'll pull out like little snippets of it. Usually it's when like Cruz is on the motorcycle or the jets are about to take off, but like it's like every time like that it kicks back in. They had another song, and I, it wasn't uh, Loggins who did it, but another song that they had that was during the first um, hop where they're going against Chester. Mm-hmm. That's a totally different song that is just very sounds very similar to Danger Zone. It's okay. like it's probably the same song, but it's actually different. So it could have been an orchestrated version of that song they used in the actual. Um, score of the film instead of they probably took a lot of times what they'll do is they'll take whatever the the big the big single is and they'll work in the themes of that single in the actual score yeah but but that's what's so interesting about about this soundtrack is you've got you've got danger zone which i think is maybe the more popular song today in 2018 yeah but at the time it was berlin's take my breath away which I, I, we're not going to play that one. Thank you. Even though that song gets in my head all the time. Just the beginning. The all the time, that damn song gets in my head. I have no idea why. But that song like hit number one. It was number one on the charts. And then Danger Zone was number two when the soundtrack came out. So they were kind of competing a little bit for each other. But like I said, I think now in 2018, Danger Zone is the more memorable of the two. You know, and, and like rewatching this movie, I... I, I hate saying this, but I, f- I felt like like Danger Zone irritated me because it now, you know, however, 30 years later, it's such an overplayed song in my mind mm. that the it took me a second to really get into the movie because this is the this is like the first hit of the movie like this. It opens with this song. And, uh, and and it just it took me a minute. I was like, oh god, I hate this fucking song. <laughs> but then as the movie went on, I'm like, oh yeah, it's now I, now I remember why I like this song because of this movie, not because the song was good, but because of the memories I have of the movie and the song in conjunction. It is a great fit. Last thing would take my breath away. It won the movie. It's only Oscar. It won best song. Take my breath away. I feel like Danger Zone should have won that Oscar. I know about that man. It was it was not even nominated, but I just. That's, that's this man's opinion right here. Before Kenny Loggins was chosen, there were a couple other ideas for who might lead this soundtrack. Brian Adams was one, with which he said no because he felt like this movie glorified war, and that was not his thing. That's actually something I wanted to bring up. I guess I'll bring it up now since this is the first time we're talking about it. There's a lot of people that turned down this movie because of that fact, and not only that... Um, I guess we'll say it now. The film acted basically as a Navy recruitment tool yes. and an Armed Forces recruitment tool. They would set they would set up um, uh, recruitment stations outside of movie theaters where where this movie was playing, and they had a five hundred percent increase yeah, in crazy. enlistment. Um, later on, uh, there was a documentary. I don't remember which documentary it was. Uh, Tom Cruise was talking about this movie and one of the reasons why he did uh, uh, Born on the Fourth of July was in response to how he felt about the impact of Top Gun. Oh. He thought that Top Gun was, you know, it, it glorified um, 
it, it didn't necessarily glorified war, but it, it presented a kind of a rose-colored version of what the military is like. And he wanted to get away from that, so he did... Uh, you know, obviously, Born on the Fourth of July is an Oliver Stone film. Oliver Stone is going to have a much, much different view mm-hmm. of of what uh, the military is, uh, and that's really one of the reasons why he wanted to do Born on the Fourth of July next is because of his reaction to this movie. And what's hilarious too is that both Tony Scott and Tom Cruise, all later on into their careers would have people come up to them and be like, man, I joined the Navy because of Top Gun, and it was nothing like the movie. Like They really like got pissed at them when they would talk to them, and they're like, hey, man, it was, that's just Hollywood. Like You can't, sorry. They, they do pick, uh, paint <laughs> a great picture of what life should be or possibly what they want it to be, and yeah, definitely not. That was one thing that, remember when I was watching this when I was younger, my dad served in the Navy, Navy and was actually on an aircraft carrier, and we'll probably go into it later, but just picking out stuff that happens on the aircraft carrier flight deck that they showed in the movie that would never actually happen. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, that nothing like that ever would take place, or the pilots are never really like that. Yeah. Wrapping up on the music stuff, REO Speedwagon also turned things down. They wanted to do their own material for the movie, and uh, they told them, no, you can't do that. And then the last group that was interesting was uh, Toto. But Toto decided to to opt out. So, I don't know. I guess they were too busy blessing the rains down in Africa from the danger zone. Took the words out of my mouth. Yep, there it is. This soundtrack was massive. Seven times platinum. So we're talking seven million copies sold. It was number one for five straight weeks. Uh, the last thing I had from the documentary, it actually caused the band Berlin to break up that from that Take My Breath Away. The band was already fighting a whole bunch. And so once the, the song became a hit, half of them were like, damn it, now we're going to have to play this song every single night for the rest of our lives. And then the other half of the band's like, well, it's awesome. Like, people are going to want to listen to this song every night for the rest of our lives. And they, like, broke up, like, months later. They just couldn't do it. They're like, screw this. We're Can out. you guys name another Berlin song? No. Anyone? I can. Can you really? Yeah. No, I can't. Maybe if you Metro? Say Riding on the Metro. I have heard of that. Alkaline Trio did a cover of it. It was really good. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, all right. There you go. All right. Let's go through our cast a little bit here. We got Tom Cruise, obviously, who is our maverick, right? The role was actually written with him in mind. So when the writers were working on this, they were thinking Tom Cruise. And as you were mentioning, like, luckily, like, he fell in love with it, just wanted to to get that ride in the jet to kind of, you know, confirm it. But nonetheless, like, they had that idea um, from the beginning. When did Risky Business come out? I think, like, 82. Before. Yeah, it was before. Okay. Because I'm trying to think. Risky Business was his coming out. That's what I'm thinking. Like, I was trying to think what was his. This was his first big action film, though. I can't think of anything that he did before this that was. um, Because Secret of My. Not Secret of My. um, uh, Color of Money was after this. It was, because that's when they had to do the reshoot. Days of Thunder was after, too, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Days Days of Thunder Thunder was was 90. 90, yeah. Yeah. That was way after. It might have been his first big action movie. And he felt really pressured in this movie. So I was going to mention it a little bit later, but I guess I'll mention it now. When, when, when everyone gets brought in to do the filming, so when they started the filming, they wanted to cover all the ground scenes first in San Diego. So they had them in Mission Beach, San Diego, which is beautiful. I've been there. And they wanted the the guys to feel like super loose to know each other so that they could then catch on in the film. So they played volleyball, right? Bruckheimer threw these massive parties for these actors, like all day, every day they were partying and going nuts. 
is what they're saying in the commentary. And there was a story that Val Kilmer like has this van with them. They decide they're going to go down to Mexico for the day. They're drinking in the van. This sounds great. And he blows a red light, gets pulled over by the cops, and they're all drinking their beers and everything, and all he got was just a citation for open container. That was it. But it was like all day, every day. And Kilmer, so Val Kilmer is our Iceman, right? We've already talked about Iceman a little bit. He actually had the same agent as Tom Cruise, which is what helped get him into this movie. Um, Val Kilmer actually turned it down at first, and the story is that Tony Scott actually chased him down the hallway, be like, no, I need you in this movie. Yeah, because Val Kilmer and, and Tom Cruise famously don't like each other. Yeah, so they're back doing a sequel now? Yeah, maybe. And so that, no, they're, no, Val signed on. Well, yeah. Signed on, yeah. So that kind of goes back to this party environment. So even though they were partying every day, Kilmer would hang out with the guys, or Cruise would hang out with the guys. Kilmer and Cruise together would never hang out and party each and every day. And so I guess Cruz was in La Jolla, which is a suburb of San Diego. He was always just kind of by himself. And like I mentioned earlier, like he felt a lot of pressure in this movie. He was getting paid, you know, well more than anyone else. You know, people were, at, you know, he's at a, getting near a height of his career. So people are coming to see Tom Cruise movies because of Tom Cruise. So he just felt like there was all of this pressure on him. And so while all the other boys were, were partying and, and living it up, he was kind of a little bit more off to the side here. Talk about pressure in Kelly McGinnis. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, Kelly McGillis and, and Tom Cruise don't get along either, apparently. No. Well, didn't she say at some point that, like, the amount of fame after Top Gun was just so much that she just was like the hell with acting and the hell with all of this. Yeah, like I heard that story a couple yeah, she times. Doesn't do a, she didn't didn't do a lot of acting yeah. after this. Nope, that was about it. And so Kelly plays Charlotte or Charlie Blackwood. I've also got Anthony Edwards as our goose, or or Joshua Malik as our dead. R.I.P. Zombie, zombie, zombie goose. Yeah. Uh, Tom Skerritt is Viper, who's kind of the leader of the Top Gun group, the leading teacher. I love Tom Skerritt. Like, I miss seeing Tom Skerritt and things. What else is he in? What, what else is he in? I, I, I know. I, just, okay, I ready? know that he's in a bunch of stuff. He's Pick offenses, but Pick, I can't. He's in a, the original Alien. Okay, yeah. He's in um, uh, uh, Space Camp. You've, you had to have seen Space Camp. I don't think I've seen Space Camp. Uh, he's in this. Uh, Picket Fences is the other one. Um, I'm trying to think what other things you would know that he was in. That stash. That's the thing. All these guys with their stash. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And he's always had it. Like, I don't know that I've ever yeah. seen him without it. He's he always like, looks the same. He's like Tom Selleck. Yeah. Except, obviously, Tom Selleck shaved his mustache at some point. But yeah. Tim Robbins is Merlin. Tim Robbins is there for maybe two scenes. He is. Andy Deframe. At the beginning not, not quite, and at yeah. the end. Yeah. <laughs> Michael Ironside, who's a great character actor. He's he's Jester. He's the other uh I love Michael there. Ironside. I do, too. Yeah. His... He does a lot of uh, voiceover work too, so yeah. you all, you always hear him. He's he's always dark side in the DC uh, cartoons. Okay. Uh, he does a lot of a lot of voiceover stuff. Definitely character actor. Definitely hard ass. Oh, totally. He didn't know if this was going to be his movie. What he did before they started filming was he wore all the the uniform garb, and he actually came up to a real naval you know real guy in the navy and tried to be like hey, at attention type of deal, and the guy like immediately like did it. And like treated him like he was an actual officer, and Ironside's like, "Yeah, I guess I can do this role." No, that's not how it goes. That is true how it goes. He no, said it. I read the story. The story is, he was in uniform on the base where they were shooting. 
Yeah. It was a break in between scenes. And someone walked by. Someone, one of the one of the cadets or whoever were running by, and he told the cadet, hey, slow down, no running in here. And the cadet stopped, looked at him, saluted, and then apologized and went on his way. See, that's what's interesting about the commentary or the documentary is maybe he didn't want to share all of that because it made him kind of seem douchey. He made it sound like it was a lot different. He probably is a little douchey. Yeah, he probably is. Um, the actors themselves were sent to an actually four-day naval survival course to see what it would really be like. We talked about earlier how they actually did get up into these jets and, and fly, but they wore the real mask, got to test altitude sickness and all of that, wore the full gear. Um, you know, they, they really tried to get as deep into what they were trying to do here as they could. And it was funny because they would oftentimes, when they were partying up in San Diego, they would be partying up with all these naval officers as well. And Kilmer says in the documentary, he's like, for as big of an ego as Hollywood actors have, he's like, it does not compare to jet pilots in the Navy. He said every time they go out drinking, they would just be going off on stories and stories about how they're better than the other one. And he says that the egos were at an all-time max every time they were out drinking and doing stuff. So I just found that interesting. It sounds about right. Yeah, right? So let's get into this plot a little bit. So what is Top Gun? Tells us right in the beginning of the movie, right? So Top Gun are the top 1% naval pilots in the U.S. Navy. Uh, We've got uh, the movie just starts off right into it, right? We've got these jet scenes where we've got Maverick and Goose up in their planter in the Indian Ocean. They're teaming up with Merlin and Cougar, and there's uh, two MiGs that show up. Maverick makes this miraculous maneuver that ultimately is what's going to help get them to, to join the, 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 top con, uh, the Top Gun class here, um, where he... The Top Gun. Yeah. <laughs> Just making sure that's what you said. That's what I said? <laughs> uh-huh. Jeez. So the, the the Maverick maneuver is, I believe he'll he'll kind of like hit the brakes on the jet. Yeah, he, he slows like down. Jets he slows down, brakes. gets close to who's behind him, yeah. and then he throttles down and pulls the nose up. So he goes up and over the uh, the the jet that's behind him. They pass right underneath, and then he drops down behind him, punches the throttle, and then takes the kill shot. Exactly. So he does that in this opening scene, scares the MIGs away, and off they go. However, um. Cougar and Merlin get all shaken up. I think it's Cougar specifically that's getting all shaken up here. And um, almost, like, you know, they're low on fuel. He's trying to land the plane on the aircraft carrier. Yeah, he freezes. Yeah. He freezes. He can't get the plane landed. He's he's in shock. Uh, so Maverick comes in and flies as his wingman and kind of guides him in, sort of sort of handholds him into the into the aircraft carrier and lands, even though they're both, they're both almost out of fuel. Yeah, which... Uh, it was research from the naval pilots, the real ones, that they say that that is the most dangerous and scary maneuver that they have to do, is landing on an aircraft carrier at night. And so that's what that shot, that scene was trying to do there. So almost all of them were in agreement that that is, that is really one of those terrifying things that you have to do. Especially because I think you have to on the aircraft carrier. When you're going in for the landing, you actually have to throttle all the way up. So in case you miss the cable, you can take right back off. So you really mm-hmm. only have one shot, and then if you miss it, you have to circle all the way back around. Yeah, that's terrifying. I'll pass. Yeah, I'm good. This movie, I was not one of those people that's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to join the Navy now. I'm like, shit, there's no way in hell I'm doing any of that. I'm good. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, this does cause Cougar to quit, and so this allows Mav and Goose to to get moved up to Top Gun. So um, they do have this initial briefing meeting. Uh, they get to meet the instructors, who is Jester and Viper. They also get to meet the other guys, you know, mainly Iceman. I got Wolfman. I got Slider. I got Hollywood that are all there. Okay, you you said Wolfman. We have to talk about Hollywood and Wolfman because that was really creepy. Just Where the two of them? The two of them. Just the two of them in general. <laughs> yes. Yeah, they're like, real creepy. <laughs> like, there's no. I don't know. Who's so? So hold on. Who is Iceman's radar operator? Is that Wolfman or is Slider? It oh, Slider. Slider. Okay, and then Wolfman and 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 uh, Hollywood and Hollywood are together. together. Okay, got it. Yeah. So. Yeah, no, yeah. I'm sorry. Just rewatching it, I just never realized how just kind of creepy and just like honestly, their comments kind of put me. It was like, no, I'm good. Yeah, they're kind of <laughs> they're not great. Yeah. This then brings us to the famous bar scene uh, where we sang to LPJ earlier, as Tom Cruise does to Charlie at the bar. Just just like for Tom Cruise, it was not much of a success for 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 him either. The bet is twenty dollars. Yeah. So I have a question about that. Okay, what do you got? So they have this bet, him mm-hmm. and Goose. Yeah. Is it who gets a girl first? Okay, because Goose is married and he has a child. I think he's just. I think he's just betting against Maverick. Can mm-hmm. Maverick do it or not? Twenty bucks. No, because it sounds like it they alternate like it. They, yeah. But Goose seems classy throughout the whole movie. That's the thing. I don't. I, I think all that was added in at the end. Because I think like the the line is something like. So whose turn is it? Like, they actually say something like, who's oh, up? Oh, that does sound familiar. And then it's like, okay, you have to have carnal knowledge of a lady this time on the premises. Yeah, but but Goose is married. I, I have a feeling that the whole Goose having kid, like a, a wife and a, and a child and all that, was written after the fact because that scene... The scene in the uh, in the in the in the barbecue place, the the bar, the bar. wherever it was is, yeah. great ball to fire. That was all filmed like later on. Mm-hmm. It wasn't reshoots, but it was filmed toward the end. I don't think it was filmed. Uh, it wasn't filmed prior to those scenes. Maybe that has to do with, like we said, like you know, the producers really went in and, and kind of tried to turn this into something. Maybe maybe that's kind of where some of that was coming from. Maybe there wasn't enough emotion and everything from Goose's death at first, but then when we realize he's got a family and kids. That makes you a little bit more upset. Yeah, maybe that was written in after the fact. Yeah, could have been. been. Yeah. So we, we later find out that the girl that he's hitting on, Charlie, is actually a civilian instructor for Top Gun, which this was a naval rewrite. So the Navy had to be in on all of this movie. So since they were using their equipment, they were using their name, they were allowing all this to happen, like the Navy had the final say in what was going to be done in this movie. And so originally in the script, uh, Charlie was going to be another pilot. And the Navy's like, "Uh uh-uh. Like it is a strict rule at Myanmar, I believe is the base, that um, pilots are not allowed to, to be together or date or anything like that. So you have to change that plot now. And so that's when they gave Charlie that role to become a civilian, a civilian, which in re- reality, there actually were civilian instructors that happened. So it was an easy enough fix, but the Navy had to like say, nope, that's not, it's not going to happen that way. You're not going to have two pilots dating each other. In this yeah. Movie. The Navy had a lot of say in, in this they because did. they wanted to um, paint the Navy in a, in a positive, in light. a positive light. They didn't want to have. You know, they basically wanted this to be a recruitment tool, which, and that's kind of how they sold the Navy. That's that's one of the reasons why they allowed them to use all their equipment. 
And that's another reason why they had to add some of those masculine shirt off scenes because with some of the dialogue and some of the things that they were saying, um, Scott and the writers didn't want those lines to be said while they were in uniform because that would make that would make the Navy look unprofessional that they're that their men are, are talking in that way. So they felt like, well, if we've got the boys, you know, having not trying to use the line because from a few years ago, locker room talk, at least they can use that locker room talk when they're not wearing the naval gear and can say some of those more, you know, inappropriate lines, I guess, which it's still going back in the movie. It didn't seem like it was anything too intense, yeah. but nonetheless, I guess when you're wearing the stars and stripes, you're not messing around. So. Again, to your point, especially if they're letting them use the equipment and, you know, basically be pretending to be naval officers you gotta kind of give in when you when you need to yeah pop quiz hot shot so uh, i have a pop quiz for the two of you all right so speaking of the pentagon allowing the paramount pictures to use all their equipment how much did the pentagon charge paramount for the use of their planes and aircraft carriers for the film close without going over yeah we can do that we can do yeah we can do uh right. prices right rules prices right here I'm going to say, like, how much total did they spend? Mm-hmm. Do you want the budget of the film? I already know the budget of the I, film. It's $15 it? million, isn't it? Yeah, the budget of the film is $15 million. So how much of that $15 million was used I'm for a s- rental? I'm going to say a third of it. I'll bet you $5 million. I was going to go somewhere around $2.53. You're both over. Wow. Really? Both over. $1.8 million. That's, that's a steal. How much mm-hmm. is jet fuel? Not including... Oh. Not including the $25,000 check that Tony Scott had to write the aircraft carrier pilot. I heard about that story. Yeah, because he liked his, he had like a, a great shot going with like the sunlight or something. And then the, the aircraft carrier was turning and he's like, no, 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 no. go back, go he back, go back. the gas to turn the ship. Yeah. Yeah, he said, how much would it cost in fuel to turn this aircraft carrier around? The guy's like. cut him a check right there for $25,000 said turn this thing around which it was crazy because the aircraft carrier is a USS Enterprise and it was actually on like it was actually doing a mission and they just kind of showed up near the end of it they're on their patrol yeah they're on their normal like routine yeah so the act so the actor said like they everything was classified they didn't know where they were at any given time they didn't know what was going on like they were not allowed to figure any of that out so i just find that funny and one of the actors um he was the guy that played slider got kicked off the aircraft carrier any of you see that yeah was it rick rosovich <laughs> yeah uh-huh. he got kicked off because he apparently like put himself in one of the officer's bunks and the officer's like what, what what the hell are you doing in my bunk he's like man just find somewhere else you'll be fine he's like no that's not how that's gonna happen <laughs> and then like he had to go up and talk to the captain and then he did some other shenanigans they're like yeah you need to leave you are a guest sir yeah so they kicked his ass right off the boat which i think is hilarious kind of douchey too so anyway when we we're talking about the film you know the next big chunk of it is this competition right because if the the top person in the class is the top gun they get their name on the plaque they get a trophy all that good stuff and that's where we have this battle between Iceman and maverick and you know like we talked about earlier you know maverick is a little bit more risky isn't very conventional Iceman is very by the book um maverick is staying in second place he's he's causing trouble you know a couple of the the trial runs you know because each 
you know, I think they had like 30 activities or something that they had to do, missions or whatever. You know, he buzzes the tower at one point, um, which which pisses off, you know, the, the, the officers are doing that kind of stuff. Um, you know, he's, he's given one more chance, you know, not to screw up again. Goose is telling him, look, I got a family, like, don't let me down, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, during one of the, the, the breaks in the action, we get that famous scene. It has to be the most famous scene from this movie, hands down. And that's, that's the volleyball scene. So I think we do have a quick little clip from, from the song. Josh, what's that song called again? Playing with the boys. Playing with the boys. So here we go. This might be the most famous montage of the 1980s. That's right. a very bold statement. Uh, but is there, I don't, I is don't there think it's an incorrect one? statement. No, I just... <laughs> it is, though. Every, everyone knows it, right? My, my, I have questions about this scene. All right, what you got? So, I think Tom Cruise is like 5'6", five, 5'7". Five, <laughs> yeah. like, I have that. He he's, was, uh, I think he's like 5'7". He's not even, I don't even know if he's that tall. Keep going. But my point is... Oh, he is 5'7". Like, he would not be my first pick to play volleyball <laughs> with because I don't think he would be able to spike the ball. Man, they were serious about it, too. You see their hands all taped up and shit? Oh, like, yeah. they all had one hand taped up, and they were going for it. And then again, I would also not pick someone that rolls up trying to play beach volleyball in a pair of blue jeans. Like, I'm sorry, I don't think Levi's <laughs> is going to be the right, <laughs> right type of clothing to be wearing for this. And he's got the ripped up white shirt. Like, all Goose needed was a Budweiser. <laughs> he would have been all set. A great trucker hat. <laughs> right? That's all Goose needed for this movie. So, <laughs> for this scene. Um, he bails on the volleyball game a little bit early because he is, um, he is heading... To he's got to um, see Charlie. He's heading to see Charlie. Yeah, he's got a date right? with Charlie at five five p.m. sharp. sharp. Yep. Yes, it's his that first is right. date with her. But he does show up late, so I don't he know does. what happened there. Yeah, he says he's got to leave on time. Ends up getting there late anyway, all sweaty and stinky from volleyball. I don't know. And again, just trying to take a shower. Yeah, and yeah. then nothing yeah. happens. He's got to take another shower. He's they just get all they wet. just kind of chat. Nothing happens between the two of them. Yep, exactly. So you know, then we get introduced to Goose's family, uh, which is the wife is Meg Ryan. This is in her first film. Is this her very yeah, first this film? Is her first I was trying film. to look that up. It is. Okay. So we've got that going on too. And then there's a discussion in one of the briefings with Charlie. Uh, they end up finding out about Maverick's maneuver they did on the MIGs in the beginning of the movie. And she's all like, that is highly dangerous. Not a good idea. No way should that have happened. He gets all pissy, storms off in his motorcycle. She chases him in this, I don't know what that black car was. But I, I don't know what it was, but it was it was it was pretty it was fancy. It was pretty fucking sweet. It was a, it's an old roadster. I yeah. think it's an English roadster. For being a civilian consultant, she's making a you great know what? house. There are a lot of classic cars in this. Like just kind of look around, just to, like in the background, there are a ton of classic cars in this film. Yeah, 
And so they get together and then <laughs> Oh my god, there is <laughs> there is so much tongue in this movie. <laughs> there is wrote so much tongue. It was so gross. It was so gross. So much licking so and tongue on it was like gross. I, I literally not have, hot. I literally have no one wants that much backlit tongue action. <laughs> oh my god. There is it was like watching a xenomorph <laughs> eat somebody. It was terrible. It was awful. It like really creeps me out. I'm like, why am I seeing so much of this tongue? There's both an of their tongues. Real amount of tongue in this. There is uh. more tongue in this than there is in Little Shop of Horrors. You know, and and this and that plant is just lips and a tongue. <laughs> and and all too that, much tongue. Ugh. All this tongue action is what leads to the saddest moment of this movie. More tongue? No. Our dear friend Goose goes down. Right? It's the next day. They have another mission. They're chasing after. Actually, it's Iceman and uh, Maverick. They're working together. And I think the thing was they Iceman. fell on the line of Jet something. Yeah, so what was happening was uh, Iceman took the lead. They were going after, I think it was Jester. Yeah. Uh, Maver- Jet Wash, it's called. Yeah. Yeah. Ice wouldn't take the shot. He kept hesitating on the shot, hesitating on the shot. Finally, Maverick's like, all right, get out of there. I have the shot. Let me take it. As Ice is pulling up, they get caught in his jet wash. Pretty abruptly, by the way. Yeah. Pulls up real quick, gets caught in his jet wash, stalls both of Maverick's engines, and it puts him into a flat spin. He cannot recover from it, so they try to eject. uh, And as they're ejecting, Moose... Or Moose. (laughs) Moose. (laughs) Moose. There's two O's and Goose, boys. Goose. Goose, Goose's head hits the canopy because the canopy wasn't cleared for whatever reason. Uh, and uh, and he basically dies hitting that canopy. He sure does. Because I know they later on they have the hearing on if Mav- Maverick was at fault for the accident. Mm-hmm. But was that just a malfunction in the injector seat? That's why Whenever there's it? a death, that's protocol. Whenever there's a death, they do an inquiry. And um, they basically they, they do an inquiry and see if there's there's a, a grounds for court martial. But I know, but they don't actually ever say what really happened. Why he hit the canopy? Like, cause Maverick cleared it. Oh no, the reason why he hit the canopy is generally error. generally when a plane's getting shot down, they're still they still have some kind of forward momentum. Yeah, and they're so just when the spinning. canopy goes up, yeah, it's gonna blow backward. In this particular case, because they were flat spinning, they had no forward momentum. They were just dropping. Gotcha. So the canopy stayed above them, which it normally wouldn't have done. And so this accident actually comes from, so Pettigrew, again, the, the advisor for the writing, originally the script had a midair collision, and the Navy was also like, that's not happening. He's like, you're, you're not going to show you know, two planes crashing into each other. It's going to make the Navy look bad. So they agreed to this situation, which Pettigrew actually got from something that happened to him in Vietnam, not him personally, but someone that he knew about, about getting caught in that jet wash and having that happen. And he said that in reality... Goose would have been in a whole lot more trouble because of the centripetal force of going around in circles and circles. Maverick would be in the center of it, so he really wouldn't feel it as much. But Goose would have been like thrown into the side and would have never been able to really get himself out. Yeah, they flip-flopped it. So so in the movie, uh, Maverick couldn't reach the ejector handles because he was the one caught in the centripetal force. But the reality is it would have switched. It would have been the other way around. Yeah. Another one of those things that I'm sure pilots definitely caught on in the movie, but, you know, the average people wouldn't have had any idea of Correct. it. Correct. So this, this deeply, like, affects Maverick. And he, he tries to go back to work with Sundown, I believe was his name. Yep. Yeah. And he gets who, cold. He do you gets, know who he is? 
He is, um, he's from Die Hard, right? Yeah. Yeah, he's like, yeah, we've talked about him in several movies already. Yeah, he's been, in, he, he's always, he he's always pops ne- up. Yeah, he's he a always, Broken Arrow as well. Yeah. Yeah. He's the, he's the, the guy who's, uh, trying to, to break the lock with the computers, the computer genius in yep. Die Hard. So Maverick pretty much ends up turning into, or w- pretty much turns into what Cougar was at the beginning of the yeah, film. Yeah, he has yeah. a Cougar breakdown. Yeah, for sure. And uh, Charlie tries to, to settle him down one last time. And she's at the end of the bar like, then just quit. You got that maneuver down real well. Burn. <laughs> Snap. So finally, I mean, it, it's done. Uh, the training is done. Iceman gets his award for being the top gun. Uh, Maverick does show up late to the to the graduation ceremony, and then the final scene here is they're they're out back into the Indian Ocean. Um, Iceman's got a mission with Hollywood. There are five MIGs that are coming after him. Well, they, initially they think there's only two. Yeah. So they think there's two MIGs. Uh, what's happening is the MIGs are smaller, uh, so they're grouped closer together, so they look like one blip on the radar. Mm-hmm. They're trying to escort this. Particular, uh, I don't know if it's a, I don't know if it's a battleship or whatever it was. Yeah. They're trying to escort it back into, uh, into friendly waters. So it had drifted outside of friendly waters for whatever particular mission they were on. Yeah. And they're drifting it back in. The MIGs are fl- are flying overhead, and then all of a sudden they see that it's not four MIGs, it's five MIGs. They were grouped together close enough to where their radar signals were basically uh, uh, one. Which that's a question I have. So Hollywood gets shot down. Like, wouldn't that be like an act of war? Like, wouldn't that be making a whole lot more news here? Like, well, hearing about how a naval plane got attacked well, and, that's what, and shot down? That's what, I don't know what Strickland's character's name is, sure. but he brings it up at the end Stinger, of it. That's Stinger. Stinger, where he ends up bringing up where it's on the front page of every newspaper in the English-speaking world, and mm-hmm. the other side's denying it. So it was publicized, but, yeah, there was never anything from the bad yeah, guys. and you know what? Maybe the sequel will touch on this. Maybe, Who knows? maybe. So with Hollywood down, it's up to Mav to save Iceman, who's now being attacked by five of the MIGs. Uh, Mav initially is is getting cold feet again. He's like, talk to me, Goose. Help me out. Talk to me, Moose, whoever it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then finally, Mav gets he gets it, man. And him and Iceman are able to take out, I think, four of them, and the fifth one runs away. They shoot down three. The last one, he gets, he gets lock on doing that move where he That's right. pulls up. Hits the brakes, will fly right by. Hits the brakes, right. fly nice, right by. He nice gets the lock on him, scares him away. They both fly off. The bigs fly off, and then they hightail at home uh, to a hero's welcome. Yes, very big hero's welcome. Yeah, there, you finally, you finally get to see Tim Robbins. <laughs> yes, Tim Robbins finally shows up at the end there. And then you got Iceman, who's like you, as he points right at him. There was a the last line that Kilmer has is, um, oh, what was it? You can be my wingman anytime. Yeah, Kilmer. Hated that line. He didn't want to say it. Yeah. He thought it was so cheesy and it hoaxy. It is cheesy. It is. No, it, it doesn't you come can out be well. My wingman. Yeah, but but he lost that battle, so he had to do it anyway. And so here's an interesting thing that I found. So after Mavericks landed and all that, he's got Goose's dog tags, and he throws them into the ocean to say that he he's he's conquered that that camel whatever what do you say the hump on his back or whatever it is is that that's not the, the monkey right on his back you thank mean? you there you go i sure. said camel. camel's fine i mean it's the same <laughs> thing yeah nonetheless why the hell does maverick have goose's dog dog tags well wouldn't that, that go to the wife well maybe she thing. gave him to him yeah if that's, but that's really, the wife. If that's really the thing you're nitpicking here. Well, but then I even go back when 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 Maverick has to tell the wife that Goose died. 
I, I think she's consoling him more than he's no, consoling he her. He wasn't telling her that the Navy would have come and told her and, and presented her with a flag. Then she seemed fine. Well, I don't know why that was. Right? Didn't but what she, he, she did not. She seemed pretty relaxed. But like, the, only reason, boy. the only reason why she was still there is because she couldn't go into his barracks to clean out his stuff. Mm-hmm. So Maverick had to go and do it. So Maverick was actually, that, that's that scene where he's boxing everything up. Yeah. He has to go into the bunk and actually box things up to present it to her because they couldn't, she couldn't go in there. Hmm. All right. I don't know. And then the other thing we didn't touch on real quick is the whole uh, uh, story with, Ma- with Maverick's father. Yeah, I did uh, not. So that was the reason why one of the one of the motivating forces for him kind of flying like he has something to prove is uh, his dad apparently was um, they they played it up like he was he was somewhat disgraced like he uh, got shot down in Vietnam in some kind of disgraced fashion but uh, uh, Jester ends up telling is it Jester? No, it's um no, it's Viper. No, whoever Viper tells him. Viper tells him. Viper tells him that uh, he was he was there. He flew with his dad, and his dad actually saved three or four jets, uh, three or four pilots by shooting them down. But they were behind enemy lines, so they couldn't actually. It's all classified. It was all classified. Uh, But he died. He actually died a hero, and so that kind of that's what gets Mav back into Top Gun. And so that's kind of how our movie ends. I mean, in the end, um, he's Mavericks at the bar. The song. Uh, you've got that love and feeling plays on the jukebox, and there's Charlie, and the movie kind of fades. Did you know both that song and Take My Br- nah, not Take My Breath Away, um, uh, Great Balls of Fire, were not included on the soundtrack? I did know they, that. They couldn't add it. They didn't have the rights to them. Yeah. So they couldn't add it on the soundtrack until the re-release, which was in uh, 2016, mm-hmm. when okay. they did the 30th anniversary. Because in preparation, I was listening to the soundtrack at yeah. work, and Great Balls of Fire was, in fact, on <laughs> they there. They are on. Yeah, they're yeah. on. The, they are, when they redid it. They, when yeah. they redid it, they, they, they reissued it, yeah. Yeah. So that is that is Top Gun right there. Um, you know, the shooting of this film is it's just something else to, to, to be more dramatic about. I mean, I was really impressed uh, when I was watching that documentary. Like, they, you know, they had cameras in the cockpits, on the wings, everything, trying to make this as as real and authentic as they could when it came to all of those scenes. And Scott would meet with the real Top Gun people every day and kind of tell him his ideas for how he wanted to shoot those scenes. And then they would kind of give him a more, like, reality check of how it could actually be done. And it, it just it works out really well. And actually, all of the... All of the scenes where the pilots are in the cockpits talking, um, the ones where they're actually flying, like in the actual jet, mm-hmm. where you can see the you know the background where it looks like they're actually flying, that was all shot over four days total. They did all of their dialogue and all of the jet scenes in four days. Yeah, the whole thing. Yeah, so I just I I think that's really cool. I think that that he did do a great job um, with trying to get all of that done. So, yeah. Um. We ready to give this a rating here? Yeah, let's rate this. All right. So I think we should let the guest go first. Josh, what do you think here? As much as I literally love this movie and probably could quote it line for line the whole thing, I would probably say three out of five. Okay. That's good. Okay. Because there are some that are definitely better overall movies that are just as entertaining. Sure. But three out of five. So I was around the three out of five after I finished watching it. And for real, that documentary has given me a lot more 
respect for this movie. So I'm not going to increase it much more. I'm going to give it a three and a half. I think that action movie-wise, it definitely does lack in in some of that action scenes. Um, I mean, we really don't even see any real, like, fighting until the very, very end of the movie. I mean, a lot of this is just kind of training exercises on the jet, and then you've got, you know, just getting to know the characters and the romance relationship and the bromance between all the guys and all that kind of stuff, which, again, is just not traditional of what you see in an action movie. But, yeah, it, it still made me really enjoy it you know still on the edge of your seat like you mentioned this is such a quotable movie it's such a famous movie i've got the need the need for speed i mean when it comes to the overall influence that this movie has had that that's why i'm going to give it this this three and a half rating i didn't realize i missed this movie as much as i did yes like i yeah man i really like this movie and I just, I didn't even know it. I didn't even know how much I liked this movie because I hadn't seen it since I was probably 14, you know? And, and, and watching this movie, it just brought back a lot, of that, a lot of those memories of sitting and watching this thing on VHS and then rewinding it and watching it again right afterward and listening to the soundtrack and quoting the movie. And, uh, and, and I just, I really like this movie. It was so enjoyable to watch. Even the garbage tongue bullshit. <laughs> I, I, re- I didn't necessarily love that, but it fit the movie. But you're going to give it a one. <laughs> no, I am going to give this a four. Wow. Whoa. I am going to give this movie a four just Dang. on the soundtrack, on the enjoyability of it, on just the cheesy schlock of it all. I love this movie. You're selling me on a 3.5 now. Do it. Do you know what? You do it. You make it a 3.5. Make it a 3.5 right now. He can do whatever he wants. Don't let him bully you. I'll make it. If a you still feel good about the three, go with the three. I'll make it a three point five now. Thank you. You're in the suit for God's sakes. That's true. Well, one thing I just realized real quick is <laughs> like I've seen this movie a thousand times probably, but yeah. I know it came out what three or four years? No, probably longer than about six or seven years ago. It came out in 3D in the movie theaters. Oh, and I remember, really? Yeah, I remember going to see it and being like, "Wow, like this is a totally different movie than I actually remembered <laughs> it being." Because like you, it was a matter of probably about five or six years really since I watched it, like the last time. We were just talking about this a few nights ago, too. <laughs> we were talking about uh, our friend Trevor that was having his fiance watch the movie, and she was all, she didn't know that Goose died. She's like, how come you didn't tell me? And it's like, that's what this movie does, you know? Like, it still has that emotional punch in it. You know, I knew Goose was going to die, but I didn't want him to die. He's got a family. It's hard to watch that scene. How do you not know Goose dies? Right? I was kind of surprised by that one. I guess it doesn't surprise me she didn't know, but... Moving on. I don't even know. I'll bet you my wife doesn't know. I wanted my wife to watch this with me. She fell asleep. My fiance, Courtney, and I watched this two nights ago, and we literally were like, this is just as... Like, she had more notes because she was taking notes, too. She had more notes than I did. Like, it was pretty good. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know if... I don't know if Aaron's ever... I'm sure Aaron's seen it, but I don't know if she would ever want to sit and watch it again. Yeah. I don't know. She liked Broken Arrow. Oh, no, that's not true. She only kind <laughs> of liked Broken Arrow. Yeah, she only kind of liked Broken Arrow after seeing it again. Do you think she knows that um, Goose died? Oh, I know, I know she does. She does. Okay. Oh, yeah. All right. Oh, yeah, totally. Spoiler for Top Gun 2, Maverick. <laughs> so are you movie? Th- you're going to the theaters opening opening night for Top Gun 2 when it comes out? And I think it's October of 2019. Maybe we all go. The, the oh. two of us, you and Tony, will all go. I'd be down. Yeah. I think it'd be a good You time. guys can dress up. It'll be great. <laughs> yeah, I you don't want to. be each other's wingman. Oh, good Lord. No, you know what? Better idea. You go the full volleyball costume. 
Oh, good God. We'll, no. get you, we'll get you all oiled up. It'll be great. Do you think... Thank God Goose has a shirt on during that scene. Oh, that's true. <laughs> I, I guess my idea... I'm, I'm assuming that Cruz and Kilmer are going to be Top Gun trainers, right? Like they they're not, have to They're be. not going to be the main part of the movie. I think they're in it, well, but I don't think it's going to be well, based on Well, I think it's it, based on... I think it's Goose's son is actually because Miles, the protagonist. Is that what they're it's, going That's with? who Miles Teller is Miles going to Teller, be. Miles Teller, yeah, is playing Goose's son. Okay. See, I feel like that's going to be where the center of the story is going to be around. It's going to be, like, be a, more like, like a Creed kind of thing where it's... Yeah. And they just... Uh, what's her name? Connolly. I can't remember her first Jennifer name. Jennifer Yeah, she just signed on to be the female lead for the movie too, so... Oh. Yeah, so maybe she'll be like a... The love interest. I don't know, something. I don't know. You never know with those. They, they could... Hell, look at this movie. It started off one thing and turned into something completely different. That's true. After, what, 12 rewrites or whatever yeah. it was? Something like that. Yeah, and I'm sure the Navy's going to get all involved in this one, too. So, yeah. so All I, right. I, have one, I know we're going to wrap it up Good. real quick. Yeah. One last thing. No, do it. Why the hell did he have a Polaroid in the plane? <laughs> real quick. I'm sorry. Like, I, And the, how did he secure <laughs> it when the, on takeoff? And why didn't he show it to the guys when they didn't believe him? And did he have it the entire time? Because uh, it would have been bouncing around the cockpit, like, during the flat spin. Like, I know you have to, like, look down at the radar. That's what his job is. But what's yeah. he doing, like, operating that while holding onto the Polaroid just in case something like that happens? Do you think he was taking dick pics with it and sending it to his wife? Maybe Goose is the one that originated it. In the cockpit. It is a cockpit. Wow, what a fucking strike. <laughs> is no. it, though? Please all right, stop. let's, guys, let's, is it? let's do the Nick, we, Sphinx, we got to do the business here. All right, all right. All right, so... Uh, Check us out at GameZillaMedia.com. <laughs> we got all sorts of stuff. No transition. No, you got. I gotta just. We gotta <laughs> what leave are you that. Doing? We gotta just drop that where it is. And move on. We got GameZilla Media. You know, avoid Sphinx's portion of the page because who the hell knows what's gonna be on it now. My blogs are great. You oh, know it. Of course they are. Go to Dungeons and Dragons. Noobs and Dragons. Dragons. Yeah, we got Noobs and Dragons on Wednesdays. We got the GameZilla. Podcast. Uh, podcast, Gamezilla Alpha. We got Legend of Retro. We got Craig's Long Plays. We got all sorts of stuff. There is tons of content that can keep you busy all day, every day. Yeah, check us out on Discord. Uh, we'd love to talk to everybody. I, I love it when, like, the fans, you know, guys like like Sean Flack and Rick and Ricardo and Ricardo and you know everybody on there is great. It is great. And if you even want to help us even further, go to our Patreon page. Please be a patron to to help us and to allow us to keep developing these shows, bringing in new ones and all that great stuff. And perks are coming your way from our show very soon. Yeah, and, and on that note, I want to, I just really want to thank everybody, um, not just on the Discord community, but I want to thank everybody for listening. I've been getting texts from random ass people that I never thought I'd get a text from, you know, or or, or messages on Facebook saying how much they enjoy the show. And and I'm very, I'm not, you know, I'm I am I'm surprised. At the response we've gotten, um, I think we would do a pretty good, pretty good job uh, with the show here. But but I'm I'm very surprised at the swath of people that were getting listening to this, and I I just really appreciate everybody uh, everybody listening and tuning in, and uh, and I'm excited to hear from you all. So please hit us up on Facebook. And as a fan, I want to say truthfully, like making the commute in in to and from work, I appreciate you guys making it a lot better than what I typically have to deal with driving a '94. From oh, the east fair side. enough. Yeah, you got a long drive home ahead of you too. Yeah, so about, about thirteen hours to the east side. Yeah, I appreciate you coming out for uh, for this little. I was going to say our, our final thanks goes to our special guest here, Josh. Thanks for having us on board. Truly a, pl- a pleasure, and um, hopefully I didn't make a, too big of a fool out of myself. But you were an invaluable portion to this episode. Yeah. You know what it is. You know what it is. You temper 
the filth that sits to my right. That's true. I I feel like I was pretty calm in this one. I tried my best. Yeah, you know, you did a you did an okay job. I mean, there were a couple of times <laughs> derailed us yeah. talking about cocks and whatnot. Yeah, derailed would have been the word I would have used too. Yeah. So with that though, yep. This podcast has been terminated. But we'll be back. <laughs>